still hanging with me? I'm still here. Okay. I sometimes get distracted because the thing that has gotten me through this is a bird feeder. Is that right? Right outside my window. Okay. So whenever the birds come to fight, I like to go watch them. Those English sparrows, those little brown ones are assholes. And they like dominate the whole yard. I've seen them run doves off. Yeah. You're talking about little brown things or yeah. yellow or like, yes, I think so. You know, I'm not uh, part of the Autobahn Society, so I, I, I couldn't necessarily <laughs> tell. Someone listening is probably, you know, we've got, we've got lots of educated listeners. They're like, just shut up, Don. Don't talk about dogs. Stop talking about things you know nothing about. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> this is when. Welcome to My Racist Friend, a podcast about the messy parts of relationships that help us grow together. I'm Amy McKees. And I'm Don Griffin. We were just talking about the male equivalent of a Karen. The male equivalent of a Karen. Karen would be older, so, I mean, I can see the guy. Um... <laughs> A Chuck. Chuck? Chuck works. Chuck. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my son's girlfriend's dad is a Chuck. That's not his name. I don't know what his name is, but they're, they're Fox News uh, folks. So how do you handle that? Uh, very little reaction with them at all. I mean, I, they, they live in Greenwood, so we've only seen them maybe twice but Dexter has to handle it a lot. Mm. Yeah, he debate he debates them all the time like cuz I guess the 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 newest one was Biden. He was acting like he was really offended about what Biden said about black people. <laughs> you know, the whole thing about Biden uh saying, you know, you if you're voting for Trump then you ain't black, you know, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, can you believe he said that? What a terrible man. It's like, uh, your guy says a lot worse. A lot worse. I, I, I don't understand this double standard, do you? What was interesting, because I, when I first read the thing about Biden saying that, I was like, what the, f- oh my God, like, this is... Like, you idiot? Why, like... <laughs> Right. You know, like, I'm still going to vote for you, but God, you make it so hard. <laughs> then I went to Twitter and I'm like, what's Twitter say about this? And all the ones that I found that were mad about it were also mad about people wearing masks. So. Yeah. You see, it's kind of, well, yes, African-Americans, we have every right to be upset. Like, he doesn't get the right to say that. That's like white people thinking they can say, they get too comfortable and they think they can say the N-word, you know? Um, uh, So it kind of had, it's funny. Hillary Clinton was on the same show, right? And that's when she talked about having hot sauce in her bag. Do you remember this? (laughs) 
you know, just, okay, I've talked too much. I'm sorry. We can hear the same airplane at our windows. It's probably in between us. We all live in the same world. Isn't that we nice? We really do, yes. <laughs> you look great for a COVID uh, Karen. I <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I put some purple in my hair. Did you really? I, hold on, I, I can't see it. Well, it mostly was to even out the red that was sort of a mistake. <laughs> think of it as, think of having COVID as like your cow gone moment. But for a really long time. Calgon has taken you away. Calgon is just a lot more a lot longer than you thought. I've been so exhausted that I would get awake for a little bit and then be ready to go back yeah. to sleep. But my temperature has been solidly in the green or orange zone for two days now. Um, what what number is that? Well, it turns the thermometer turns red when you go above 101.4. And for okay. 17 days, it was above 101.4. Oh, my God, 17 days. Yeah. I can't, I, honestly, I couldn't imagine having a temperature for, for that long. That just, uh, I'm sorry. I don't have any of the risk factors. I didn't have any lung issues. So, you know, I, I guess we don't really know even what happened. I feel really know? bad that you got it. As bad, I mean, because you, you guys, you've done everything that you're supposed to do. Uh, and I'm calling you from the grocery store. <laughs> Asking you if I can pick up something because it's like the third time I've been there for the day. <laughs> or I'm calling you while walking the dog well, on the trail. The dog has to be walked. I know, but uh, yeah, you did everything right and you still got it. Well, maybe that's why I was doing stuff right, because we were carrying it around in our house, and that way we managed to not get it out other places as much. Okay. I mean, I guess that's, that's one way to look at it. That is one way to look at it, um, that you saved other people. Because with all the asymptomatic carriers, and this is what my oldest keeps pointing out, is that um, she had a temperature for one evening, like a fever and a headache. And the headache was a couple days. Several, several weeks later, I got sick. But like, I don't know. I don't know how it passed through, but it could have been like slowly going from one asymptomatic, asymptomatic person to another. And then, That's, yeah. Um, the more I read about how it's um, transmitted, like I was, I was not in all these very long. I was wearing a mask as soon as the guy walking the wrong way was in my space at all i like held my breath and tried to get away from him so and it, it's it's both how long you're in the presence of someone and the amount that's being spewed you probably got it from your kids because because we're together a lot especially during you know this time we're together we all sit like on the couch together and mm -hmm. um breathe each other's air and you know, when my wife was a, uh, oh a zero to three teacher, she would come home with all kinds of stuff and I would get it. And she, yeah. after a while, she was just immune to it. We, we called her the carrier. Yeah. She would just bring it home and give it bring to it you. Home. Yes. Cause, <laughs> no, my, Cause the little kids, man, they just, they just, they're just sponges, man. Yeah. 
So, so what are we going to talk about? What do you want to talk about? Why you got the energy? I've got the energy, partly just because it's the first time I've had energy, and that feels super good. Mm -hmm. Kevin and I, before you came on, were talking about how interesting it is that the the public health response has has now become politicized, Uh, like the North Dakota governor yesterday giving the tearful plea for people to quit being mean to people wearing masks quit being mean to people wearing masks yeah he was basically are you freaking kidding me be kind you know some people have a good reason for wearing a mask and that you know masks shouldn't be politicized which to me seems like like not licking doorknobs shouldn't be politicized either my god it's like a bizarre world in in Bloomington. There's a lot of shame if you do not wear a mask. Yeah. There's a lot of shame even if you're outside tossing balls with people that live in the same household because you could be it could be your roommate, and people are getting people are posting it on Facebook saying I can't believe these idiots out here on a, with you know having a picnic like how dare they, you know it's uh it's different here than than other places, I think, so. One thing that I've been following and interested in is different reactions to uh, what we're gonna do with kids moving forward for a lot of reasons, like childcare inequity is a big problem that I think we have trouble seeing in our communities. Like we don't see it for how big it is. Mm -hmm. There was this whole long thread on Facebook the other night that was somebody saying, I will not send my kid back to school until they're doing COVID testing every two weeks for every student. And then it was full of people who were like, I am not sending my kid back to school if they're COVID testing them because I'm not going to let them stick something in my kid's nose. And at first I was a little bit judgy about that. But then I started thinking about like when I was a parent and my oldest was say five, I could totally see myself saying that just because like in order to even get like a strep swab, which is just the back of your throat, oh God! like that was a battle. And the thought of having to like the one time that we had to deal with pneumonia and like, it was really important that we get the antibiotics inside the body every day. Like Kevin had to come home from work yeah. at lunchtime and cause it took two of us and it was awful. And also, does that even make them safe? Like if, if you're just getting tested every two weeks and in theory, a kid could go home and get exposed that afternoon and then be carrying it around, you know, four days later through the school and not get tested for another week. So, it really isn't going to matter, right? It, it's it, easy it, to get fatalistic about it, yeah. It really, I mean, unfortunately, you know, after two weeks, it's already spread throughout the school. It's too late. Parties have happened. Recesses happened. I mean, <laughs> lunch, lunch, people trading. It, it, kids' hygiene is terrible. They're, they're terrible anyway. I mean, every kid I've ever seen, if you watch them long enough, they've got their finger in their nose. <laughs> it's just true. It's yeah. just true. And I'm talking about high school. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I'm not trying to be fatal, fatalistic. I'm just being, we're just not ready. 
I think it's exposed problems that are so big that we can't fix them. Not that we can't fix them ever, but that we can't fix them with the tools that we're currently using to try to fix them. What tools? <laughs> what? Well, I mean, honestly, what? What? <laughs> I mean, damn. I mean, a hundred thousand people, man. We're not even getting a chance to mourn those individuals, just normal folks, and the and how they affected the people that are were around them. And normally, they'd have at least a day or at least a few hours to 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 be recognized. And we've got a hundred thousand people that we basically just not only have we put them in a mass grave, we've put their memory in a mass grave. Yeah, we don't have time to do the things that we do that help us create meaning out of loss. What is it, a th are we still at a thousand people dying a day? I, I honestly haven't looked in about. I'm sorry, you haven't. I should, <laughs> I'm glad I can talk to you. I, you're out of the woods, so I'm glad we can talk about this now. Let's, let's... <laughs> but, and I tested negative is the other thing. You know, so yeah, people have these symptoms and test negative and won't know if oh, it would. That's crazy because you definitely have it. Well, I mean, I, I think that's likely, but. Well, shit. I mean, what else? What else <laughs> have we ever heard? I, I've never heard of anything else where you have a fever for 10 plus days. I mean, yeah. it just doesn't. This is the only thing that I've mm -hmm. seen that does that. So. I mean, but I, you know, I, I, I quit medical school a long time ago. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kevin just said he's going to call you. I'm going to call Don. you Dr. Don. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, there's a story of this woman who had some kind of small business that employed like 13 people and um, she had folded. Um, not not because uh, she couldn't make it work during this pandemic, but because her husband couldn't be primary caregiver. Hmm. Um, it was just too hard. And in the like in the reaction gifts to this, which were very worth the whole story, one of them was pointing out that he didn't even have a full time job, <laughs> and it showed like the woman running out and screaming was the gift for that. Hmm. Um, any little inequity that we've got going on is like expanded exponentially during this. Yeah. Yeah. We're not all, in, we're not all in this together. Are we not, not the same way. Mm -mm. You know, no. we're all on the Titanic, but some of us are on the lifeboats or the upper deck and the rest are holding on, you know, and the rest are like swabbing the decks and getting all the germs before they go down with the Right. <laughs> And serving food. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You think about it. We, there are several people that do not have jobs, right? But then the other folks, they're the ones that are on the front lines. They're the ones that are still at the uh, working at the grocery stores and the. You understand what I'm saying? They're the ones Hopefully on the, the Instacart or yeah. Yeah, and there there are some of us that can work from home. And so therefore don't need daycare, don't need someone to watch their kid. Part of the thing is, is that we think that like, we're like, oh, well, if you can work from home, you don't need daycare. And if that were true, I would have gotten so much more done in the years before my kids were all in school full time. 
oh, I, I know, I'm just saying, but I've got an older kid, so, so, but. Yeah, me too. But I'm saying there's some people who have jobs that don't, you know, you can't work at Kroger's right. from home. Right, right, yeah. You know, yeah. you can't work at Wendy's from home. Yeah. You know, or be a janitor at home, you know, for the hospital. You're out there. And like you said, like, who's taking care of your kid? And you're going to get shamed for whatever the answer is to that question. Right? Yeah. But, you know, like, we we sit on this show and talk about, like, all these different ways that we were getting to a place where we're starting to sort of lift up the cover and look underneath it and see that a lot of the things that we thought were normal or the same for everybody weren't. Right? Like we were getting where we could see, okay, a lot of this is just a facade, like a deeper understanding of our society. And we were like on this very slow ramp toward that understanding. And then this came along and it's, and it just like blew the whole cover off. So now we have to, like, in my opinion, we have to see that racism kills people and that our sort of merit-driven society that, you know, if you work hard, you get health insurance, which we all know isn't true. But then what's happening now, I think, as we're starting to like pop our heads back out of our houses, is that people are grabbing at the truths that they thought they knew before this happened, and then like trying to dig into those even more. As an African-American man, I saw that. We saw that happening. We, we saw you folks saying, hey, things are getting better, right? Things are, it's a, it's a post-racial society and mm-hmm. racism doesn't exist or it isn't as bad as we think it is. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, we were still suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, even- Yeah, it wasn't even, really better. It wasn't better for us. Even, uh, even the, the disparities just kept getting worse and worse. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in a sense, this is, this, all this, it's kind of good for us in the sense that now I think we're gaining more allies because now folks can see that what's happening. This veil was over everything. Yeah. Even when we were trying to talk, we were getting shut down. The whole gaslighting thing that you, that, that everybody sees, yeah. that's been going on with us forever. Well, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. You understand what I'm saying? It's been going on for us forever. And now, now everyone sees it. Now everyone notices that, you know, that their neighbor or their uncle or their whatever didn't really have great intentions. They really do believe in this shit. So what what you were describing there, it reminded me of some of the conversations we've had before about when... Um, you know, the election of 2016, and that lots of, I don't know, middle-aged liberal white people were like, oh my God, I'm so heartbroken that, that this exists in our world. And I was among them. Like, and now when I look back, I'm like, wow, I was dim. Like, you weren't dim. A little bit. And that's okay. I'm okay with being dim because I, I, my eyes got open. I mean, and I, I was not like, I didn't think we were done with racism. Like I was, I was concerned and I, I was following, 
you know, like I, I remember wondering why um, the news that I would get on Twitter about Ferguson was so dramatically different from what I was hearing on NPR, like that the two stories weren't even <laughs> the same. On, on Twitter, I was seeing people being, you know, tear gassed and beaten and terrorized in an effort to stop the protests. And on NPR, it was like, hmm, some people are a little annoyed, but... Well, I love NPR, but you, you're, you're absolutely, they, they still talk like that. It's, it's very, I do like the fact that they are about the facts. So they, they're, they're, they're old school journalists in the sense that they'll talk about something that's just terrible, but they won't take a side. Well, but they weren't even telling, like, I, I feel like with Ferguson, they weren't even telling the whole thing. No, they, they probably weren't. No, they weren't. They weren't. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and. And that was shocking to me. And then I think part of what happened with the election is I sort of let go of that, I, of that being shocked and was like, no, I'm going to go back to like ground zero of being shocked that all this exists. And when we've talked about this before, it's really opened my eyes to see how you experienced that. You know, that I think a lot of people of color were like, well, yeah. Yeah. And for a lot of people, I think that opened their eyes and helped them get a clearer picture of what's happening and of what we need to do to move forward. I, I think it did, Amy, but it still wasn't enough. See, right now we've got a president and an, and an administration that's basically with everybody. So now we're here and we talk about how well we've lifted back the cover and we can see that, A, that they're bad actors in this and <laughs> that it is hurting people. But how do we keep the cover up and take care of each other like that's okay the cover has been lifted right but things are going on on a daily basis messed up shit is going on with this administration on a daily basis rights are being taken left and right so we know it's happening and yet it's not being stopped this is the frustration that African-Americans have felt for years, knowing what was happening. Hell, we've got, we've got videotape of men and women getting murdered by police officers in cars, right? Mm -hmm. And these jackasses are ups were upset because the, the NFL was, uh, uh, players were, uh, were protesting that. Yeah. They're more upset with that than anything. No, and we actually see it. You can actually see it. And you see it, and, and these assholes are still calling it fake news. They don't see the injustice of that. They wanna, they wanna focus on the fact that maybe black people don't love America enough. We love America more than white people. Sorry, it's just true. I mean, that's why we're still here. We, it's our only country, like we don't have a, uh, I think Michelle Moy put up a, a map a couple of uh, days ago of the continent of Africa. And it showed all the different countries that were in there. I mean, you know, Sudan and just, I mean, on and on, South Africa. I mean, there's so many, like, you know, it's mind boggling the amount of 
countries in the continent of Africa. And I made the statement like, like, like I have to say African-American because the last place I can trace my home is America. So I'm African-American. I know I kept my people came from Africa, but what actual country? That's like saying you're a, you're a European American. You actually have a country to identify with and we don't, we're stuck by saying that our people are from a continent, not a particular region. It's just, so America is what we have. That is our, we, we don't have another country to fall back on. So we have to love it. So, so maybe this is another opportunity for the, I don't know what to call it, like the clueless liberal community, like the, the, the ones who can't quite see under the cover, maybe this experience is another opportunity to see. But I think it's deeper than that. Like, I think it's because there's a part of me that when I see like the people that I see pushing me to accept Joe Biden and I want Trump out of office, like that's not, I definitely want him out of office. I want more though. What I need to like function in my life and to get around the community and to go to work and to take care of my family is a sturdy medium range bike, right? Maybe with some gears. And what, what I get with Trump is that I'm like locked in a basement and what Joe Biden is offering me is a big wheel. <laughs> I want more than a big wheel for you. I want a, more than a big wheel for the rest of us, for the whole country. Yeah. Because like I said, it's the only country I have. And so I, it needs to get better. And I want the ability for us to work on getting it better, to actually have impact on getting it better for everyone. And I mean, especially my people, you know, we're tired of dying. I'm tired of being scared that every time my kid is in the car and driving by himself. Yeah. Um, we got to get, we got to get him out of office. And I think Joe Biden is like a stopgate right now. He's not, he's not the answer. He's not going to be the answer to, to solve our problems, but I, I don't know, Amy. I, it, it's more than who has been elected. It's that half the people believe what they believe. That half this country believes what they believe. And that even if we win, there's still half the people trying to bring it down. It's always going to be a battle. There, there's no longer is a mid a mid-range and the problem is the mid-range was messed up for everybody else anyway everybody that wasn't a, a white man the the, the mid-range wasn't good either it was just a repackaging a nicer packaging saying we all care about each other but you know we really don't have the resources to not right now we, we you know remember that i really like a black president but i don't think we're ready for i don't think the country's ready I really like a woman president, but I don't think the country's ready for it. How many times have she you heard that? Authority. It's not me. I'm not sexist. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 
where that's that's the problem. That's the it's the heart of our country. It's not even who's elected. It's the heart of it's who we are as a family, as a complete. Yes, I've got my liberal folks that believe. Those are my sisters and brothers that we kind of believe in the same thing, mm-hmm. right? But then we we don't just live with half of the people. You understand what I'm saying? Like, how do we change? who we are as Americans, period. I do think one thing that, that this has, I hear the birds in your neighborhood. Um, I think my cat's actually checking it out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think one thing that, that is happening that offers uh, a little bit of hope and and that we can learn, like take bits of it and learn from it and move forward is the mutual aid movement. You know, that there are people out there saying, okay, we can pull, like without the government doing this, without um, waiting for permission for everybody to agree that this looks exactly the right way, we can say um, there are people over here who need food, who can help them get it? And then we can do that. And it's like a local, way of saying out loud that everybody deserves food and shelter and care. Oh, I love it. I love it. I, I see that, that that's one thing about this that I have seen that, uh, um, you know, people stepping up individually in our neighborhood, you know, you, you have a lot of the, the, uh, the, uh, we have several, you know, many libraries in front, sitting yeah, in front yeah, of people's. Yeah. Well, in our neighborhood, there's actually food in it. And I've seen people that I've n- never seen on our street before come through, and I didn't understand why until I looked into the, uh, into the uh, there are yeah. many pantries, and I, I'm like, that is, that's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the government didn't tell us to do that. No, and this is not to say that I don't think the government should be oh, making God, sure yes. everybody has food and shelter. Like at a basic minimum, that would seem like competent governance. But in the meantime, it's our way of saying, yes, this is important. It's more important than policing the world to make sure other countries are capitalist enough. No, I think that's a great idea. Maybe I, I should try to create my own va- vaccine here in my house. <laughs> Dr. John. Yeah, yeah, another doctor uh, moment. <laughs> oh, man. I was wondering when, when you were talking about still being afraid anytime your son goes out to drive, and I was thinking of, like, when you're watching the TV show and you're starting to get nervous because you think, a, like, a, something bad is about to happen, and the mm. different clues that you get when you're watching it that something bad is about to happen, and that now the clue could just be a person of color driving. And that's enough to like rev up my anxiety watching a show. Whereas if it's a white person driving, they have to be messing with the radio or dropping something in the area beneath the seats for it to look like something bad's about to happen. Yeah, the scariest thing a, a, a black person can see is blue and red lights in their rear view mirror. That is, it, it, there is anxiety 
every time there's a police officer behind you. You're just trying to make sure that you are not going to make any mistake at all. You're not going to roll through the, the stop sign or you're just, you're like, oh, shit. I mean, it, my, my wife, I mean, she hardly ever gets pulled over. And has never gotten a ticket yet. It's the scariest thing to her. Mm-hmm. She'll call me and say, Don, a police officer, I think a police officer is following me. Mm-hmm. Can you stay on the phone with me? I'm like, okay. Aww. I think we're going to be okay. Let me let, but then she's like, okay, he turned, or, he turned, or, he turned away. Okay, good. Yeah. And honestly, we live in a small community. So now most people recognize, most of the police officers pretty much recognize our cars. Like a Mini Cooper is probably going to, there's a good bet that, that the Griffins drive Mini Coopers. <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I wish for that, but maybe, maybe not. That's interesting that you said that. Isn't that, isn't that a shame that my biggest fear is not that he's going through Martinsville to go to Greenwood and my biggest fear isn't that some redneck is going to mess with him. It's that some redneck police officer is going to mess with him. Someone with legit, like, uh, I don't want to say legitimate power because, but yeah, legitimized yeah. power. Yep. Put it that way. Like that, that as a society, we've said, it's okay for this person to carry a gun and tell other people what to do. Yeah. God. I was thinking about this yesterday because there was a, a post about the paradox of seeing police doing good things and how, how do you modulate that? Like, how do we hope for what we want, which is a society that's safe for all of us and that has people in helping roles, you know, whether that's like the, the army of social workers, which are not armed. I just want to go back to that again, but I know what you're saying. Where are we on the road? Like if, if where we land is that we fill in the needs so much. I mean, I think of like the adage with toddlers and you're like, Oh, if I don't, discipline him when he's upset he's gonna think getting upset is the answer but really like the better way to deal with toddlers is to think if i can meet this developmental need then he can learn skills to be better which is truth is there a way for us to meet like our societal developmental needs i think is where i'm going with that i don't know i mean i'm coming from a place of privilege in the sense that my dad was a police officer. Mm-hmm. Police officers came over to my house all the freaking time. Yeah. I mean, I, I loved a police, being a police officer. I loved that my dad was a police officer. I, you, you know, I loved when my dad would come to school uh, and be officer friendly. I know the chief, chief of police. I've known all the chief of polices. You don't understand what I mean? The, the current one, I'm, I think he's a wonderful person the Indianapolis chief of police. He's you know, I spent a weekend with that, that guy uh, doing some, some work in Chicago and he's a wonderful guy. When I have that, right. Mm-hmm. And, and yet I'm still scared as a black man. It's a vast divide that I don't know. 
I don't know how it's going to change without completely changing the system. I think that's the problem, Amy. And I've never been, I've never been an Antifa type of person where it's like, oh, let's blow up the entire system because it sucks. We've had these conversations before yeah, about me saying, saying, hey, we have to fix the system that we have and try to live within it. Mm -hmm. But damn, the system sucks. The current system kind of sucks. Just it, it only works for, for certain individuals. If you look at the metrics, our society, the American experiment has been successful. I don't like, even think that. I think that's just the story we tell. Like, I don't think it's been successful. And I think well, that not for us, but not for most. Not for most, but they don't even break it down on a, well, we used to, we had a middle class, right? Where you could break it down and say, you know, hey, the average American is doing really well compared to everyone else in the entire world. You could break it down. Well, yeah. Um, but that's what, you know, that's based on wealth. That's not even based on rights and privileges and equality for all. That's, I mean... I'm just, uh, I'm saddened. I mean, I'm mad too, you know? Mm -hmm. Aren't you mad? Yeah. 100,000 people should make anyone mad if we're not mad. But I think that's what I'm mad at. I'm mad that there, there's not enough people mad. Right? <laughs> what, like, Jesus, man. Part of our population being able to see it and be upset by it, and the other population being completely surprised that 100,000 people are dead. Like, what? Or in denial. You know, well, those people were going to die anyway. They all had yeah. all, the flu. <laughs> yeah, 100,000 people, so what? Like, what? Are you, are you, are you freaking insane? I want to, I know violence doesn't help, but God, do I not want to hit some people? Or I hope that you get it. I don't know. I, I keep saying, I'll look at the thing and I'll look at, and, and, and I'm telling my wife this. I'm like, gosh, I hope he gets it. Like, and she's I like, know. don't say that. I said, no, they, I think they need to, like, it needs to happen. That's the really uh, gross part for me is that I do find myself thinking, you know, if someone's not going to wear a mask and is going to insist that it's not real and then go around getting in everybody's face, there's, a part of me that and and that's worth examining i think that part that really wants them to get it because <laughs> and, um, and we're terrible people for thinking that i think but we talk the truth when we're on here that's an it's an interesting thought exercise and i think it's i would even say an important thing to think about because because it's natural to want that like i think that's a normal human reaction is to want uh, to lash out in that way or want to be proven right. I don't want to have COVID, but I was disappointed that I had a negative result because I wanted to be right. Like I want to know for sure that I'm right about something. Oh, oh, Amy, you got it. I mean, Jesus, <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, there's so, so many of them have been negative, but yes, if, yeah. if anybody could see you, no, you don't look that bad. I'm just teasing. <laughs> <laughs> I do, but I, I think it's similar to, going back to parenting toddlers again, you can't simultaneously feel horrible about yourself and behave better. And this is something that has 
resonated with me over the years that that making someone feel worse about who they are does not equip them to behave better. And the conversations that we've had have pushed against that somewhat. And I don't wanna say that it's not true. I wanna say that it gets bastardized into accepting bad behavior. Part of our wish that people get it is, is out of a hopelessness and a helplessness that we can't do the thing that is, you have to stay home if you can't wear a mask. We can't insist on the better behavior. And I think that that's part of where this gets mixed up when we talk about racism too, when we're like, well, you know, calling someone a racist is gonna make them angry and then they're not gonna behave any better. You're not gonna get the results that you want. Here, let me white explain it for you so that you understand how to talk to white people who might say things that might sound racist, but they're not. You, I'm doing a thing. This is not me. But, no, no, I got you. But I think there's something that we're not getting in that like binary this or that. And that is, it's not accept behavior or don't accept behavior and hurt the person in either a name calling or a shamey or actually giving them the disease or punching them in the face way. But there's more depth than that. There can be holding someone accountable while helping them understand that I believe that they can do better. <laughs> you still don't let your toddler destroy the restaurant because they have a need for more physical activity. You help them do better. And it probably means that you don't get to stay in the restaurant. You've got to go. I'm not sure how that applies to adults, but I think it does. Have you ever been bullied? Mm -hmm. You've been bullied before or seen bullies in action? Yeah. And it used to be that they would tell you like, ignore, first of all, ignore them if they're making fun of you, mm -hmm. right? You do that and my God, would they not just keep making fun of you? You can't ignore someone. You can't use that sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt you. Like that doesn't work. Like, so you have to actually learn how to you've got to learn how to talk to them back and make fun of them back to be honest with you that's the only way to stop a bully and if and if bullies that get physical with you if you don't if you like turn the other cheek i've heard that i used to hear that and i tried that and you turn the other cheek and they would just hit they continue to wait for you after when, when you got home from the butt from the bus they continue to try to to to, to beat you up even if you just kept walking, right? You, you, this would happen. And then you learn how to fight back and you learn how to hit back. And when you can hit them back, they stop because first of all, you, you start to get better at fighting too. Once you start hitting back, we can't fight these bullies, but we're too nice. This whole idea of being moderate and trying to, bring everybody to the table. That is our liberal way of thinking. Like we're assuming that they want to come and sit at a table with us. They do not. They do not. They would, as long as they have their guns and their president, 
and their Walmarts, they, they don't care about coming down and sitting with us and having a vegan lunch. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> These people are not playing fair, right? They're not. We've got to have some people on our side that fight. When I heard you go through the whole, like, because I was picturing you, you know. Yeah. Little kid Don. Yep. And you were doing this alone. Like, you're describing going home. Like, I just pictured you on the bus and no one having your back. And do you know, I'll tell you what I did. I'll tell you, sometimes on the playground, before going on recess, I would unlock a window. This is in second grade. I would unlock a window, right? That was closest to the air conditioning unit because they had those air conditioning units that you would put in the wall, that, that not the wall, they put, you put it in a window so that I could sneak in during recess, I could sneak back in to the classroom and hide during recess. Yeah. And then I would pretend like I was, you know, like just the first one coming in the door. That's how bad it was, you know? But anyway, but I, I also learned, I learned how to fight. Like it was, it was too, it was, I was just getting tortured on the, on the playground all the time if I wasn't fighting. Right. And, you know? But when I hear that, I'm so angry at the other people on the playground. I'm angry at the teachers for not noticing. I'm angry at the other kids for not being like, what the is happening let's stop this but you have to understand people are i mean you see this with with the we, we wonder why no one goes after trump and they they want to be on that winning side they do not want to be the person in the crosshairs none of the other kids wanted the bullies to mess with them they knew what would happen as long as it wasn't happening to them they were okay. God, we do the same damn thing. Like when the Mexicans are being messed with, the African-Americans, we don't come to their defense because we're just happy that they aren't messing with us. When uh, people of Middle Eastern descent were being blamed for what happened in 9-11 and everyone, you know, everything was happening there, uh, everyone else was kind of silent. They were like, okay, it's not happening to us. Why are we not defending uh, the, the transgender sex workers that have been murdered, right? How come we haven't heard more about that? How come we as African-Americans, we as Latinos, how come we're not up in arms about that? Every time someone is going after someone else, we don't, we don't all reach up and say, this is not going to happen to the, you know, because it happened to us. It's not, we're, we're going to make sure it doesn't happen to anybody else. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I'm saying? Like we're doing the same damn thing that the kids at, on the playground did to me, which is if it wasn't happening to them, they were not, they were going to ignore it. I would have this argument with my dad when my oldest was younger, a lot younger, like toddler. What my dad would ask is how do you want your kids to respond if somebody tries to beat them up? don't you want them to be able to fight back? It, it didn't feel like a hard answer to me to say, no, I want them to leave. I don't want any kid in that equation to be beat up, even the aggressor. 
I don't want, I don't want to cause pain. And that's my like super rational speculative brain uh, mixed with a little emotion. And I know that like, if I saw someone hurt my child, that it would be much easier to like jump in and use violence to protect my family. I, I think this is really hard. And I think part of what makes it harder is this instinctive desire to make it less messy and to say there's right and there's wrong and I'm right. And I be, you know, if you don't start it, then you're in the right, which is something that we think a lot in our society. Mm -hmm. You know, if you don't start it, you're just defending yourself. And I, I don't want people to not be able to defend themselves. I, I would like, when I imagine seeing people being cruel to you, I want to like fly through time and space and conk their heads together and watch brain like come out of it. That's, I want to do that. But also I want like, when I want to like travel through time and space, I want little Dawn to have, to be in that moment and to have someone come up behind you and say, I'm with you. You're not alone in this. It's that quality that I want to instill in my kids. And then I want to, pull up in me and you know around the world is that if we if we have more empathy like courageous empathy the kind that makes you stand and say stop even if you're gonna get hit not you but I mean like if you're stopping someone else from hitting and you know that you may get hurt in that but but you can feel that pain so much that you don't want it to happen like that kind of courageous empathy is what I want to see and what I think we need instead of what you're talking, like you talk and you're right on target with this whole like scarcity thing. Like, well, if they're picking on transgender people, they're not picking on me. And that's a good thing. And I think like we do that in politics all the time. Earlier when we were talking about how uh, you were saying like, well, there's, you know, these, this group of liberals and, you know, they pretty much agree with me. And I was thinking, well, you know, like we're all pro-choice. <laughs> but like... <laughs> Beyond that, like, and, and how livid I get when people are willing to, like, sacrifice the reproductive justice piece of our platform in order to be more inclusive or whatever, and, like, how rage-filled I get at that idea. I don't know. I think it all connects there somewhere, and I don't know. I'm, I'm glad you said that. That made me feel so. I, I almost cried there because when you said you'd like to go back and be behind me as a little kid and I could just yeah. picture that. Um, I'm, I'm glad it happened to me though. And we all have things that we look back on, but there's so much crap that happened to me as a, as a child. I don't go crazy thinking about this stuff, right? I go on because I can say that these things have helped me grow as, this is what I tell myself. Yeah. I don't get living. I say, this is what has created me right? This is what has created who I am. It also allowed me to filter, like, our kids don't have to see our mistakes. They can see, they can see and hear the best of us, right? <laughs> I, at a very early age, we would say, hey, you, if you ever see a kid, tell, we tell Dexter, at, at kindergarten, like, if you see a kid being made fun of, don't accept that. 
don't allow that kid to be by himself. We were able to tell him that, that, that and we, we instilled in him, we kept saying, leadership is lonely. Aww. Leadership is lonely. Like you are going to be in situations where it seems like everybody is right. Your whole classroom is agreeing on something. But man, if it's something that in your, in your gut you know is wrong, it's up to you to say it. Like if not you, who? If you know something and you know it's wrong, if not you, who? Right? Leadership is lonely and you're going to be by yourself a lot in things. Except in that situation, he's with you when he does that. And I think also that connection to the person being wronged. Yeah. But I mean, saying he was able to do that in elementary school. You understand what I'm saying? Like, whereas I had to be an adult to finally figure that out, you know? So I think sometimes we're, we're, God puts things in your path that, you, that are bad things and you're not sure why they're here. And maybe, maybe you won't, you know, maybe that lesson isn't actually for you. Maybe it's for the next generation to, that you tell a story and that next generation says, nah, it's not going to, yeah. My dad told me the story. It's not going to be that way. I like that. So I, I do know that all the things that, that made, made you who you are, you turned out pretty awesome. Oh, you're so awesome. Thank you. That must be, I think that's the drugs talking to you, that homemade. Uh, I'm not taking any drugs. That, 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 that. I don't think Tylenol does that. No. Okay. Oh, that's funny. This is fun. I'm, I missed you guys. Yeah, I miss you too. I'm, I gotta say that the other thing that makes me wish I could get like a positive test is I want to feel like I can go out and not worry about making people sick. Like if I could know that I'm going to ship off my antibodies to somebody to make a cure somewhere and now I can go and I can hug people because I'm not going to get them sick. Like that seems super awesome to me. Is that a thing that happens if you get COVID? I don't, I'm not, they're not sure yet. That's the problem. <laughs> they're not sure. They're not sure if you can get it again. You never know. I don't think they're sure. Yeah, we just don't know. Anything. We don't know shit about COVID. All right, I'm glad we finally cooked up. Me yeah. too, me too. All right. All right, All right. see ya. Bye. Bye. This episode of My Racist Friend is a production of the Bloomington Center for Connection, an organization using relational cultural theory to promote social change through connection. This conversation between Don Griffin Jr. and Amy McKeese, LCSW, took place at separate locations in Indiana on Sunday, May 24, 2020, and was edited for this podcast by Kevin McKeese. Theme music lovingly sampled from Your Racist Friend by They Might Be Giants. Follow the Bloomington Center for Connection on Facebook, and other social media platforms. You and your friend. I, I think people benefit from in-person therapy, um, but they don't benefit from... Ah! Ah! Oh, it's a lightning bug. <laughs>